0: Well, it is so good to see you all in the house of the Lord today, and I have been looking forward to this message this morning. Ever since our early morning service, I'm looking forward to what God wants to speak into our hearts and our lives during this second service. I know that He has something great in store for us, and so I'm looking forward to hearing from the Lord, and I know that you are as well I don't know if there's ever been a time in your life where you make a statement only to later on think about that statement and think to yourself, well, why in the world did I ever say that? Have you ever felt that way before? At the end of service last Sunday morning, when I said this morning we were going to be dealing with another one of those current issues that we were going to be looking at, the immigration crisis in America, I began to think to myself, What in the world were you thinking when you made that statement? You know, you don't have a lot of choice after you make a statement like that, do you? You know, there's no way to really, other than to stand up on Sunday morning and say, you know, well, God led me a different direction, but even then it becomes quite challenging. But no, we are going to look at the current issue of immigration crisis in America. If you were unable to be with us last Sunday morning, we started a new series of sermons that really is going to take us through the month of January. It's a series of sermons that we are simply calling Current Issues. That's what I have entitled it. I started that sermon last Sunday morning with this statement, and I want to just make this statement again to refresh our memory. The statement I made last Sunday morning is this. I believe that the Bible is the most relevant book ever authored. And I also believe and am convinced at some point in time the Bible will speak to every issue known to mankind, even the current issues that we are facing in America today. I believe that still this morning. I also believe that the Bible is the single greatest self-help book ever written known to mankind. If you want a self-help book, don't run down to the local bookstore and try to find the latest bestseller. This is the greatest bestseller of all times. The problem is not with the Word of God. Our struggle is with how to apply God's Word to certain issues that we are facing in our culture. That is our great challenge in the world in which we live in today. I can promise you the Bible addresses those issues. It's about how do we take God's Word and apply it to our current context that we find ourselves living in. Now, last Sunday morning, the current issue that we dealt with was really the value of life. We asked ourselves the question, what is the value of a life? Well, the Bible defines that for us. The Bible says that all life, whether it is born or unborn, is fearfully and wonderfully made by the hands of God. The Bible is very, very clear when it comes to the value of life and listen it's not our right to determine the value of life it is only our right to seek to discover the value of life that God has given life in his word I don't know if you realize this but God really doesn't bargain with us about his word it's not open for discussion with God God states it, and then we have a choice to make as followers of Jesus Christ. Are we going to believe what is written there, and will it become the foundation for our lives, or will it not? And so that is our great challenge this morning. So the Bible very clearly teaches us all life is precious and valuable in the sight of God. I hope we will all agree uh, upon that this morning. Can we all agree upon that today? All right, so this is yes, this is no. All right? Well, that's what I'm looking for. I'm wanting some affirmation. The more affirmation I get, the better off I am. It's like what one man said about preaching. He said, saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick it to a bulldog. And so, you know, the more you amen, the longer we'll be here. I'm sure I won't get any more amens after that, right? I heard an amen, so that just, you know. But you know, I'm excited about what God wants to speak into our hearts and our lives. I will say to you this morning, this is perhaps the most challenging message that I have ever put together as a pastor. It's one of those messages that I've really had to do a lot of thinking in. It has challenged me spiritually in some of my understanding and what I really held to to be biblical truths. So what I want us to do more than anything else this morning is I want us to allow God's Word to lead and guide us when it comes to to the immigration crisis that we're facing in America. As a matter of fact, I would tell you, I believe this is the most volatile issue that we're facing in America today. Now, my staff will tell you something about me. I am not a social media guru. I don't tweet. I don't Twitter. I don't do any of those things. I do have a Facebook account, and very rarely do I ever post on that Facebook account occasionally when I do post something, it's very non-controversial. It's something like, thank you for marrying me, Robbie. Robin, happy anniversary, or it's happy birthday to one of my children. And really, that's not controversial. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter what anybody else believes about that. But I have recognized this. Over the last four or five or six months, the few times I do look at Facebook, I do have an account. Every time that I'm on Facebook and I look at what people are posting, it is about this issue. So I didn't want to lie to you this morning. As a matter of fact, when I got to my office, I opened my Facebook account. The very first thing that popped up was something about immigration. I'm going to tell you, it is a hotbed for discussion in America. The immigration crisis and the question we must ask ourselves as God's people is how do we address this issue from a biblical perspective? How do we address it? Now, I want to start by making one clarifying statement this morning, and I want you to listen to it very carefully, all right? In preaching this sermon, I am not trying to align myself or us with any political party. That is not what I'm doing this morning. Instead, I am seeking to align us as God's people, His church, on the foundation of His Word. I want God's Word to guide us and direct us in what we believe as God's people, not our society, not our government, not our culture, but God's Word. It is the foundation for our life. Now, I'm going to make a statement here, and I want you to hear it carefully because I believe this is one of the most important statements I will make this morning. For the church, immigration is not an issue of political policy. It is an issue of people. People is what the issue is. Let me say it one more time. For the church, immigration is not an issue of political policy. It is an issue of people. I hope that we recognize that this morning as God's people. I'm not here to try to tout one group over another and what I have come to realize this morning about the issue of immigration I've come to understand that people on both sides of the issue are adamant they are right would you agree with me on that if you don't agree with me on that turn on your television or look at your social network feed people are adamant that they are right concerning the issue. As a matter of fact, I heard a lady say this week, one of our politicians, it's okay to be factually wrong as long as you're morally right. And I was thinking to myself, how in the world is that even possible? I'm always humored when politicians want to use the Word of God to justify their position. I just oftentimes take a step back and I will have a big laugh when I hear them take the Word of God out of context. So this morning, I want us to ask and answer the question from a biblical perspective, how should we respond to the immigration crisis in America? If you're like me, I have family, friends, not necessarily co-workers, but acquaintances that all have an opinion about that. And I also realize as followers of Jesus Christ, people are watching us to see what our opinion is about issues like this in America. And so the question is, is how are we going to respond to the current immigration crisis that we have in America? This morning, I want to offer you three biblical responses. Three biblical responses to the immigration crisis in America. And I think that you're going to be quite surprised by this very first one. Our first response should be, we should respond by obeying the laws of our country. That is a very clear truth that we learn in the Word of God. The Word of God clearly teaches us as Christians, we have been given a biblical mandate to be good citizens. We are to support the rule of law. That doesn't mean that we cannot engage in peaceful debate in the public square concerning current issues, even issues such as immigration. But at the end of the day, as followers of Jesus Christ, We have been given a responsibility to submit to the government authorities over us and to follow the laws of our land. That is clearly taught in Scripture. We cannot argue with that. Perhaps nowhere is that more clearly taught than Romans the 13th chapter. So if you have your Bibles or your device this morning, I want you to open them up to Romans the 13th chapter Romans the 13th chapter, and as you're turning your Bible or opening your device to that particular chapter in the, in the Word of God, I want to share with you a little bit of the context. These words that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome is being written to a group of Christians in the first century that were living under a very oppressive government. Nero was the Caesar of Rome, and he was a horrific caesar he despised christianity and he did everything within his ability to destroy the early church that is the context that paul is going to write these words now i will share with you this morning this is one of the most challenging passages of scripture for me to deal with as a follower of jesus christ when i read this passage of scripture i'm always left with really paul do you really mean that i mean Think about it for a moment. I want you to try to put yourself in the place of these first century Christians. Some of their family have been imprisoned. Some of them have been killed. Some of these people have lost their livelihood because of the relationship with Jesus Christ. And in verse 1, this is what Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no other authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And I say, oh my goodness, how can that be? I mean, think about that statement. I don't know about you, but if I'm being real honest this morning, I struggle with that. I mean, can you imagine standing up in a church in South, I mean, in North Korea on Sunday morning and reading that passage of Scripture? Can you imagine standing in the underground church in China and reading that passage of Scripture to the Christians that have gathered there? When Paul makes a statement like, let every person be subject to the governmental authorities or the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Oh my goodness, Paul, what in the world are you meaning? What about governments that are tyrants or dictatorships? governments that are physically abusing people who are professing Jesus Christ. Does Paul really mean that we should do this as Christians? Now, it's easy for us, isn't it? It's easy for us because I know today I can leave this church, I can go down to the park here in Lumberton, and you know what? I can stand out there and I can tell people about Jesus Christ, and I'm pretty certain... Mm. I'm not going to be thrown in jail or in prison, and I'm pretty certain it's not going to cost me my life or the life of my children or my livelihood today. Do you see the struggle here? But then on the other hand, we are very clearly told as Christian citizens, we are to obey the rule of law in the world in which we live in, the country that we find ourselves in. It's not optional, is it? I mean, this is the single most clear passage of Scripture in all of God's Word, talking about the Christian's relationship with the governmental authority over them. It can be no clearer than this. I feel like this morning maybe I'm the only one that struggles with this. I mean, you think about it. Paul opens this passage of Scripture... Writing to a group of Christians that are living under an oppressive government. And the very first words that he writes in chapter 13 is Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no other authority, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. One of the most challenging verses of Scripture in all of God's Word. Oh my goodness, really? Do you see that here? They are servants of God, is what he says in this passage of Scripture. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. When I read that passage of Scripture, I will tell you, I'm often left with more questions than I am answers to questions. How are we, as followers of Jesus Christ, how are we to relate to the governing authorities that are over us? Now, we don't have time to go in depth in this passage of Scripture, But I do want to just point out three statements that help us to understand our relationship with our government, okay? Number one, the governmental authority over us has been established by God. That is very clear in the opening verse of this scripture. I cannot make it say anything else other than those words. That is what scripture teaches Paul is not saying God is responsible for the sins of a dictatorship or tyrants. Paul is simply saying the authority of government to rule has been established by God. The only time civil disobedience is okay as a follower of Jesus Christ is when man's law contradicts God's law. And at that point in time, we have a responsibility to follow the law of God. That is clearly taught in Scripture. Number two, governmental officials are servants of God. Now, I know that is challenging, but that's exactly what Paul says in verse 4 of this passage of Scripture. Now, that raises a very important question. What about wicked and immoral leaders? Immoral and wicked leaders are simply God's reward for an immoral and wicked society. Now, I want, you to be care- I want you to listen carefully to my next statement because I want you to make sure that you hear the context that I'm going to speak this in. I believe there are good godly Christian people in America that are involved in government leadership. I believe that with all of my heart. But when we look at the disarray and the ungodliness in Washington, D.C., I will tell you this morning, we are simply reaping what we have sown for the last 30 to 40 years in America. There's no other way to say it. That is the reason we are on the course that we are on in America today. Leadership of a nation is a reflection of the people's hearts. That's the truth of Scripture. Isn't that true? I mean, you think about it for a moment. In America, how else did they get elected? You have to have the largest majority of the vote to be elected in America. That's true that is the voting or the system that we live in within America number three we should follow the laws of the land if for no other reason for conscience sake this should be reason enough as followers of Christ we do what is right because it is right a higher motivation for obeying our governmental leaders should be our lord I mean our love for the lord. Every believer is a walking talking representative of Jesus Christ. No matter where we go in this world, we represent Jesus Christ as followers of Jesus Christ. When we obey the laws of the land, we send a very important message to the people that are around us and watching our lives. We are saying, our relationship with the Lord is what we value most. We are to do what is right because it is right as God's people. And that's exactly what Paul said In this passage of Scripture, in relationship to the uh, immigration crisis, first we should respond by obeying the laws of the land. That is our responsibility as God's people. Now, that raises a very important question. The question that it raises is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, how do we temper Justice with mercy. I don't know if you struggle with that or not. But when I read Scripture, Jesus Christ very clearly says, Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The Beatitudes are characteristics of citizens of the kingdom of God. That's what they are. And right there in that passage of Scripture, Jesus Christ very clearly challenges us to balance justice with mercy. What does that look like in the world in which we live in? How do we as God's people surely uphold justice and follow the rule of the law of the land that we live in, but at the same time we operate or we respect or we show mercy to other people? How do we do that? Am I the only one that struggles with that? Well, that brings us to the second part of this sermon this morning. This morning, I want to share with you two more truths that we see in God's Word in response to the immigration crisis that we face in America. The first one is this, we should love the stranger among us. At least six different times in the Word of God, we are challenged to show love to the stranger who lives among us. That is a clear biblical truth that is taught throughout the Word of God. In Leviticus, the 19th chapter, God is speaking to the children of Israel. And these are the words that He spoke to them. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, Do not mistreat them. Did you hear that? When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. From reading that verse, it is easy for us to see God has a special place in His heart for those who are displaced. But not only is that just an Old Testament principle, it is also a New Testament principle. As a matter of fact, I would ask that you turn your Bibles this morning over to the book of Hebrews. Find Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews, the 13th chapter. As you're turning your Bibles here, I will give you a little bit of the context of this book. The writer is writing to a group of Hebraic Christians. People who were very steeped in Hebraic or Hebrew culture. And he's writing to them as to why the new covenant is superior to that of the old covenant. But what most amazes me in this book is how he chooses to conclude this particular book to these people. I want you to listen to what he says here in chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I find an interesting phrase in the Bible or an interesting word, I will usually underline that or highlight it or score it so that I'll remember exactly where it is. I would encourage you to take that word hospitality and I would encourage you to underline it, score whatever it is that you do to remember where something important is in the Bible. That word right there, hospitality in the Greek, is a remarkable word. Actually, what the writer has done, he has taken two words and joined them together to convey a very important spiritual truth. Now, this is it. He took the word phileo, which means brotherly love, and he took the word xenia, which is stranger. Stranger. And he combines them into one word, the word that we render hospitality. Literally, this is what it means. You are to show brotherly love to the stranger among you. That's what it means. That's what the writer of Hebrews is challenging us to do as God's people. To show brotherly love to the stranger among us. In the New Testament, the word hospitality meant to actually, literally, to open your doors and to invite strangers inside. Now, please don't leave here this morning and say that's what the preacher encouraged you to do. We need to be wise. I'm not saying that. But what I would say to you this morning, it is very clear in Scripture. When we read this verse, Leviticus, and we read these two verses in the book of Hebrews, that we as God's people have been called to show love to the stranger among us. That is scriptural. As a matter of fact, I would say you even see this truth through two stories that are illustrated, or this truth is illustrated to us through two stories in the Old Testament. How many of you remember the story where the three men come to visit Abraham? Y'all remember that? Had that long discussion about Sodom and Gomorrah? But what we need to realize is this, it wasn't until the end of the story that Abraham understood who he was entertaining We see it again in Sodom and Gomorrah. What happens there? Two angels go there. They're in the town square. Lot sees them. What does he do? He comes out to them and he says to them, Hey guys, don't stay here. This is a dangerous place. Let me open my home to you. I invite you to come in. I'm going to show you love to the stranger. He didn't know them, did he? No. He had no clue who they were until the end of the story. He begins to realize that they're angels of the Lord. The clear truth of God's Word is this. God's Word challenges us to love the stranger among us. That is the clear challenge of God's Word. We are to practice hospitality and hospitality in this passage of scripture is not referring to inviting people that we know to our home. That's not what it means. It's to love the stranger among you. That's what it means. The third truth that we see here in God's word is this. How should we respond to the immigration crisis? We should should respond by showing compassion for the hurting. We should respond by showing compassion for the hurting. I want you to turn your Bibles over to Luke, the 10th chapter. I know we're jumping around in God's Word this morning, but I want you to see a story. It's a story that we are very familiar with. It's the story that we oftentimes refer to as the Good Samaritan. This is what Luke reveals to us. He says in this story, one day a lawyer came to Jesus Christ and he asked Jesus Christ the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus Christ responds to the man and he says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man says to Jesus Christ, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor As yourself. Jesus Christ said, you have answered well. You have answered right. So the man wants to justify his position. So do you know what he does? He asks Jesus Christ, hey, okay, Jesus, define for me who is my neighbor. So Jesus Christ tells a story. It's a story about a man who was traveling down from Jerusalem along the road to Jericho. Scripture says that they fell he fell into the hands of robbers. In other words, he was bushwhacked. That's what we would say. He was ambushed. They beat him up, they stole his money, and they left him on the side of the road for dead. Two men, very religious men, come down that road. One's a Levite, the other one is a priest. They look at the stranger. They don't know him. And you know what they do? They simply pass by on the other side. They made a decision. You know what? We don't need to get involved with that. We don't know that person. You know what? So that really doesn't matter to me. That person has no value to me at all. I don't know who they are. Then it says that a Samaritan came down that road. Now I want you to listen to what it says about him in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. That's the man that was laying in the road. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. That word compassion is such a rich word in the Greek. It literally means to be disemboweled. That's what it means. It means you hurt so much for a person's situation that it literally feels like your insides are being ripped out. That's what it means to have compassion. This man looked at this man. He saw his plight and it literally broke his heart. It literally broke his heart. And it says that he took the man, he bandaged his womb, he put him on his donkey, he took him to the nearest inn, he took him in and told the innkeeper this, hey, whatever expenses he has, let me know when I come back through, I will pay them all. The unique thing is what happens at the end of this story. And I'm closing here. Jesus Christ looks at this man and he says, Hey, which of those three men were a neighbor? The man answered, The one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. Don't miss the last part. Go and do likewise. Who is your neighbor? Anybody, everyone is your neighbor, is what Jesus Christ said in that story. The person who lives next door to you is your neighbor. The person that's holding a sign down on the street corner in Beaumont saying, I'm homeless and I will work for food, that is your neighbor. The person who's in this country that is an immigrant, whether they are illegally here or legally here, they are our neighbors. They are our neighbors. According to Jesus Christ's definition of a neighbor. You see, the real challenge for us this morning is not Which political side of the argument are we on today? That is not the challenge for us as God's people today. The real challenge for us as God's people today is this. Am I being a neighbor to the people that come into contact with me on a daily basis? Am I truly a neighbor as Jesus Christ defines what a neighbor is? Do you see that? Do you see that? I don't know about you. Sometimes when I look at the immigration crisis, I see the border, all of those faces up there just look like nameless people. But can I remind you something today? As much as you and I are created in the image and the likeness of God, every one of those people are created in the image and the likeness of God. And when we look at their plight, it ought to stir us and move us to have compassion for them. Because at the heart of God is the person who dwells among us that is a stranger. Folks, that is scriptural that is scriptural for the church it is not about a political policy for the church the issue is people who are hurting and how will you and i respond to their hurt Father God, we thank you for your word and the way it speaks truth into our hearts and our lives. Father, we give you this invitation and pray that you would do whatever you want to do with it to your honor and to your glory. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.